Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast and happy new year to everybody who is just catching up now. What we wanted to do with the next few episodes is answer this question and the question is going to catch you off guard a little bit, but how do we tend the garden of our brain? And what we mean by that is this, we've, we've gone over identity, strength, courage, and influence, the four pillars of um, our Mission 300 program. We've gone over that quite a bit in the past, especially the identity. So if you guys haven't listened to the episodes on identity, then I would definitely recommend you go and you go over those before this one, because we've built so much that you have to understand on the aspect of, uh, of identity before you can build these things we're going to talk about here. Otherwise you're building on the wrong foundation. So we've talked a lot about misconceptions about identity, misunderstandings in just our lives and in church and in different programs on the identity in Christ and the kingdom of God and what it means to be a son. So again, go back and listen to those episodes. If you haven't, they're in the archives. Once you've done that, now we want to ask this question, how do we start tending this garden in our brain to build habits and build systems that develop and grow and continue what was established from that change in identity that you experience when you are born again. So from that foundation, how do we now tend our mind and develop habits that can sustain that, that can develop it and grow it? And so in this episode, we're going to get practical. We're going to get reasonable. And at the end of it, we're going to have this question of, well, what do I do with this today? So let's go. I'm going to put in the comment section um, and in the uh, summary of the podcast, uh, a link to a video and it's how the wolves change the rivers. And it's dealing with the reintroduction after 70 years of the wolves back into Yellowstone and how literally their presence began altering the ecosystem and establishing a much more sustainable, fruitful, productive, new species of animals coming in, uh, new, new plant life, stronger uh, uh, environment and how the rivers literally changed when the, the wolves came back into the environment. And we had mentioned this before, I think on another podcast about rewilding, but I wanna look at this metaphor as a metaphor of our brain and what is necessary for the brain's design, the, the God design of our brain that he's given us, that he's uh, prepared for us in Jesus, how do we tend it? Because there's a there is an aspect that we have talked about the sovereignty of God that uh, some believe that God's just in charge of everything. Well, in, in in an essence, He is, but there is a part that God gave responsibility to man. So in the in Genesis chapter one, the first thing that or Genesis chapter two, the first thing He tells man to do is you're responsible. For the garden. You're responsible for the earth. So God is with man, but man is responsible. So his authority, because he's under an authority, is over the earth. In the same manner, we are responsible for our thoughts, for our views, for our decisions. We're responsible for that. Now, God is amazing because he gives us his spirit that uh, opens our eyes to see truth. He gives us a new spirit when we're born again, like we've talked about before. He renews our soul. But 
it is it is up to us to allow that that's on the inside of us to flow and work with our brain because our brain is the filter to the outside world it's the filter to our natural world it's the filter to all of our sensories and we have to take what's been given to us put it in and tend to our garden so we can be stable strong and mature going into our life. And that way we are effective at influencing other people. And so how do we put this together and how do we tend our garden? So that's kind of a, a big picture. And David shared this story of a, what's the story with the uh, Asian, the Asian metaphor? There's a metaphor by like some Japanese dude, I think. And it's basically like if you spend all your time trying to catch butterflies or opportunities or something like that, you're not, it's going to be really hard and you might not ever catch anything. But if you spend your time building yourself like a beautiful butterfly garden, then the butterflies and opportunities and stuff will come to you. And I think that's a perfect picture. What? How do we take what God's given to us, allow our brain to be renewed because it's, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And, and there is a lot of uh, spiritual aspect that God's doing that. Like you can't just renew your mind without a platform and a foundation, which you said earlier, go back and listen to our identity. But once that's established, it is our responsibility to what we're allowing to be in our, in our garden of our brain, as well as what needs to be introduced and what needs to be removed in order to for the metaphor's sake, creating an ecologically fruitful uh, thought life. So this is all built around habits. So we talked about the neuroscience of habits, setting goals, um, all of those different areas. And so I want to really go in and explore some of this. And so I want to get into hearing from you guys. What do you see are the habits or mindsets that you have or would like to have in order to be the most productive, uh, maybe productive is not the right word, uh, the most uh, full of what you actually are and what you're designed for, that what do you wanna see in this next year? What building blocks do you need to add? What's What places do you need to develop? Not that you need strength, but how do you develop the strengths you have to be that in this next year? For myself, and I, I don't want to take us maybe a different direction, but for myself here, I've been thinking lately about the actions I don't take and the impact that those actions have on others and my family and the people around me. It's not always about doing the right thing or taking an action. But it's also thinking about, like, what's the inverse of that action? What's going to happen if I don't do something? And that, so far with me, has produced me to take action on the right things and actually determine what's a priority versus what's not a priority. But it also starts out with, like, determining, I mean, it goes back to, like, what we've always discussed is, like, our identity. Um knowing who you are helps you know the value that you can provide in the world. 
but you can only provide that value by taking action. But in order to inspire me to take that action, I have to realize like what's going to happen if I don't do this. And that actually pushes me to do it instead of just thinking, Oh, I need to do this. It, it'll never inspire me to do anything. <laughs> but thinking about the consequences has pushed me to do that. And maybe it's not the right way. Maybe it's not the healthiest way to look at it. But I think there's something to that where you you have to look at the cause and effect of what you do. Like with the wolves, removing the wolves might have solved a problem for someone else. But in the grand scheme of things, it made the wilderness not what it was supposed to be, not what it was designed to do. And then by re-entering that in, you were allowing the garden to flourish. So let me let me take from that and pose the, the questions to everybody else. Why does it seem like the thing that we should do or the thing that we, uh, you know, just any good habit, like even if you create good habits and, and you're able to do them regularly, the moment you don't do them, it doesn't take long before it to kind of go blah. For the listener, that means it just kind of falls apart. Why do we have to continue to put some energy into it? It's easier once the momentum's going, but there's still it's not perpetual. It's not like habits are not perpetual. You you still have to add some energy to keep the balls to keep it keep it going. Why do you think that is? I, I think it's a really basic concept of whatever you feed on, you hunger for. And I've seen in my own life when I when I start having bad habits or stuff that maybe doesn't produce what my life should produce. For example, like fast food, super convenient. And you can just get stuck in a rut. And then every time you go, go past that place, Oh, I'm hungry for that. Well, no, you're, you're really not. And all it takes is like a rewiring, but you have to almost train yourself to hunger for what's good for you. And that's where it takes the discipline and the habits to do that. Cause you're, you're not going to enjoy reading the Bible the first time you do it. And that probably maybe hurts some people. And they're like, no, I always enjoy the Bible. Well, I would call you a liar because I've had many times where I have to force myself to read the Bible but it's not a force out of like, I need to do this to be a good Christian. It's I need to do this to create the habits to where I actually love reading the word every time I'm in it. But it starts with just kind of pushing yourself to do it and creating that new habit and creating a new, new, new food for you to hunger for. Because once you start, it's almost like it just it's perpetual. It just keeps going and going and going as long as you keep feeding yourself. I think it's also a law of physics and nature that things in motion require motion to continue going when there is resistance. You know, if I, I roll a ball across my floor at some point, it's going to stop rolling because there is resistance, even if it's just the resistance of the air itself or my, my kids have this little, um, this little car racetrack thing and it spins around. You guys probably know what they are. They're like, this just the oval and there's a loop. And every time it gets around to the starting point, 
there's these spinning wheels that launch them again. If they don't hit those spinning wheels, then the car is stopped because they've run out of momentum and energy to continue. But because that track is set up with these habits or in this system of once you get around again, the wheels spin and push you again. Once that system is set up, now there's continual motion. And so I think that's why we need to establish habits and systems because those things will keep the desires in motion because things don't work just, you know, well, once I had this desire, then it's in an infinitely and instantly and forever moving forward. There's resistance. There's emotional resistance. There's physical resistance to these habits we're trying to develop. And we have to keep pushing into those in order to develop these habits that propel them in the long term. Like I think of our brains the same way as that little racetrack. And I don't want it to be that way. I want it to be like a set it and forget it thing. In that example, I've found like if you spend your time intentionally, like if you start working out, eventually you're going to be like, this workout's going to be so much more effective if I eat properly. And so all of a sudden doing a diet or whatever becomes so easy because if you don't, then it just kind of, it's a hindrance to what you're already doing right now. And like that moment, that thing of staying in motion or having something that accelerates you, like working out, for example, makes all these other things, the resistance of not doing a diet or something like that. It allows you to break through it and keep speeding you up. Which kind of ties into, it's almost like you, it takes a rocket, like what, two booster rockets on a, on a spaceship to get outside of the orbit. Once it's outside of the orbit, it actually only needs like little thrusters to move through space. But those little thrusters, like when they were flying to the moon, I forgot how many, it's like every minute they had to do like a recalculation and a booster to keep it aligned to keep going down the, to get to the moon. So there was this constant readjustment, but it only took little, little thrusts, not a lot of energy to make it happen, but they're in motion going. But if you don't do that and you just let it just go, Hey, you're out of the orbit, you're, you're doing well, and you're just going, eventually something other will create a mag a gravitational pull and pull you into its orbit. And now you have to go through the process again. That's where when we're tending our garden, it's it's not about putting the right things in there so it just functions. You still have to be involved in overseeing the wolves, overseeing the bears, oversee you're still overseeing it, but now it only takes little thrust motions in order to keep it in that in that place. And so what you guys are bringing up, uh, like Tommy, what you're talking about, that hunger part, that hunger is really good. In fact, it, in Psalms, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's this element of, if you're not knowing he's good, you've just never tasted of him. And once you taste of him, there becomes a hunger to know more of him. So in this process, even when we're talking about systems, systems by themselves can be very empty. It almost becomes like uh, we, me and David were talking about the Stoics and how powerful some of the Stoic philosophy is. Like it's very consistent with a lot of scriptural philosophy. 
but it's a philosophy. But the weird thing is there's an emptiness in it because there's no hope beyond just doing the process. That's how you live on this earth. But there's like no, there's no life in it. It's almost more of management of a dying garden. We want life in it. And so there has to be a relational piece. So to truly hunger, to truly um, see some of this, this stuff work and to have the energy, there has to be something that's more life-giving. There has to be something that is offered out of the, the fruit of your garden to others. There has to be something that takes you beyond just you focusing on you versus you get to now put that aside so you could focus on others. You could focus on a bigger picture. And I do find this very interesting is highly accomplished people. Let's just say that I'm not saying that they're, they always do it right or anything, but just people that tend to be highly accomplished don't think much, don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about their past. They don't take a whole lot of time to think about who their woes. They think more about where they're going, what they're going to be, how they're going to get there. Their, their mind is on a forward thought process versus a backward thought process. And I think sometimes when we're talking about this cultivating our garden, uh, some of the philosophies even within Christianity has spent more time focusing on you fixing yourself versus where you're going with the one who already fixed you. And we cater to that. And in a way, it, it causes us to almost be so introspective that it can lead into almost a, uh, it's not narcissistic, but it can be that way. It's almost like it, it handicaps you because you're so consumed with your past. And this is where Paul says, forget those things that are behind. So it doesn't mean you don't deal with things that you did. It doesn't mean you, there's not a place of repentance. There's not. It doesn't mean that there isn't things that have to be dealt with, but it does mean if that's where you're focusing, you will begin focusing on you. And once your mind is always on you, then you're going to have a problem because you will never be able to fully satisfy that. So when we're talking about this garden, it's not about you so much it's almost more of let's create the garden so you get out of the way so you can move into the next place one thing to add to that too is i think many times in my life i've seen that when i'm so self-consumed and self-focused i feel like i can never get out of that trap unless i give beyond my mean to allow god to give beyond what he's given so far, right? Like in order to step out of your discomfort of getting caught up in your self-emotion, you almost need to give yourself away to a point where God can give enough to actually cause influence in that situation. When I'm giving and cheerful in my finances, I have no worries about my finances. But when I'm constantly thinking about how I don't have enough, that's all my mind becomes consumed about. And I'm not giving of what I have. So I almost feel like exactly what you're saying. You need to give out of your garden to go where God's called you to go. Could we safely use uh, David's analogy of the butterflies that basically you're back to pursuing butterflies versus building a garden that attracts butterflies 
Well, that is such a, bi a big difference. And it, it, there is a mindset shift there. I heard the story once the, um, these bricklayers were there laying bricks and they're going to be laying bricks for a long, long time. Very, this huge building they're building and they're put, they're putting in the bricks and one guy looks at the bricks as goes, man, what a boring job. I will never see the fruit of what I've done. The other guy says in 300 years, this will be a beautiful cathedral. They're both doing the same job, but they both see something different in what they're doing with the work. But it is a little monotonous on some of the basic stuff, but they're thinking differently. One is thinking how it's affecting him. The other's thinking how others will be affected by the results. And there is something so deeply true about that. That becomes the bigger priority. How do I get beyond myself? And how we do that is like what you just said, stepping out. I knew I had a moment last year. I was writing some goals down and thinking about the goals. And this thought came to my mind. I know where the thought came from. This thought came to my mind. Why do you set goals that produce relief? For example, if I can just get to this point, everything will be better. If I could just get this, then things will be better. If I could just have this, then things will be better. Why do I set goals like that? So my goal is driven to get out of or to think better or to be better. And I'm not saying don't improve, but rather than, you know what? I have a future ahead of me. I have the opportunity to grow these things. I'm going to set goals that benefit someone else and I will be better. But um, the, the fact of the matter is life does never gets easier. Successful people, life doesn't get easier for them. It always gets harder. It's just the more you do the harder things, you become good at hard. So it appears easier. You've just gotten good at doing the hard things. And so the more we master doing the hard things, the more we master pushing forward, it doesn't mean life gets easier. It just means you know how to do it better and you can handle it better. But there's always that resistance pushing forward. Thus, when we're talking about our, when you create good habits, when you create new mindsets, you have to kind of be attending to them and create processes that you always are keeping that thrust going because it, you're, you're, natural tendency will always want to go for the easy way always when it comes to doing those hard things and the things that are that you don't want to do and coming across those trials and how it strengthens you like and not pursuing things that make your life better like if you pursue having all this money to have then everything becomes easier uh I found in James chapter one, verse two and three, it says like, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, right? So like wealth doesn't really give you the idea that you're lacking in nothing, but like Paul had the idea that he was lacking in nothing because he had this steadfast strength that these things weren't of importance. And like 
he could just be and he was lacking in nothing like in psalms 34 when david's being pursued by uh saul and he has to act like a crazy guy to survive then he says the famous psalm oh taste and see that the lord is good and oh fear the lord you saints for those who fear him have no lack and that's when he's running and having to hide in caves and acting like a crazy man which totally fits that his environment or circumstances weren't dictating what he actually was but you stay at what you actually are long enough and you arrive at the destination that is part of your future and we see that with Joseph. You see that with many of the other characters. So like, like if we can make our goal to be steadfast in all situations, instead of our goal to not need steadfastness, then I think it makes a big change. Like how Jesus, when he talked to the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter two, in verse nine, he says, I know your trib tribulation and your poverty but you are rich, right? So like these are one of the most poor churches in the entire land. Like they couldn't get a job because they were Christians and stuff. But Jesus says like, but you guys are rich because they, they're steadfast. And for the listener, you know, I used to hear that kind of stuff when I would go to church saying, oh, great. So I just get to be poor. So that's what that means. Just be content being poor. Remove finances for a moment. Paul is never saying be content there. He's saying you already have what you need. Now let yourself grow. What that's going to look like is going to be different, but they're going to find joy. They're going to be able to be influential. They're going to make a difference in their, in their community. They're going to bring uh, God into the locations that they are because they're walking with him. There's an implication to this. It is not a coping mechanism. So if we have to kind of, I had to take the time to undo some of the scriptures that have been taught to me because I used them as coping mechanisms, not as in power. That's a powerful statement of when you feel like you're poor and God says, no, you're rich. That means change your thinking and live like you already have it done. At least that's my interpretation or it also could be like how Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, do not lay to yourself treasures on earth where the moss and rust destroy, but we're, but lay yourselves treasures in heaven. I kind of almost believe that our treasure and our wealth is in heaven and not on earth. So would you make decisions on this earth that God's asking you to do, but you don't have enough finances to go do it? How do you... How, how do you hold yourself and still go do the thing you're asked to do, even though it looks like you may not have the resources to go do that thing? That's kind of where the power of God kind of comes in. Because <laughs> I've heard a lot of stories like uh, this one guy named Brother Andrew, where he smuggled Bibles into Russia. When he was in college, they did an assignment where they had to live off of one pound like their entire group and god came through every time but it's like at the very last second barely making it and they just kind of learned to trust god but like it's hard to explain but like it's kind of like the bare minimum 
I don't know. That's not a very good way to say it, but like every time it was like at the last second and all of a sudden relief. But you can trust in God all the time. So if God was asking you to build a business, how do you then not want to pursue adding finances to the business because you do have to pay people, you do have to pay vendors, there's things you're going to need to purchase. And the reason I'm asking this question, because I, I agree with your whole thought process here, but I think it becomes easy again, if we're looking for an easy way or we're looking for a escape, you're going to interpret these things wrong. If you're looking, how do I live fully what I am? You're going to look at it differently. So in other words, if you're if God speaks to you to do something, your resources will be there when you need it. It doesn't you're not going to make decisions based on your resources. If it is I've been poor, everybody's been poor, I don't like rich people because they're bad. So I'm okay been finding justification just to stay poor. You've missed the whole content. Also, some may choose to be lazy in developing themselves for the sake of well, God's just going to provide. Well, yes, but there is an element that you aren't understanding what he's going to do. That would be the difference of living by a miracle and living in a blessing. And there's a, there's a difference there. So again, we're trying to build mindsets that strong identity, you're a son, you have the strength, you have all the muscle structure for you to accomplish what you've been called to, but it is up to us to develop it and push it and to create more environments of resistance so we grow stronger and stronger and stronger. So we have the courage for the sake of other people to do things. So we're not doing courageous things for our own identity. We're doing it because of our identity for the sake of other people. So that's stepping constantly into uncomfortable arenas so we can influence other people. So if you have that mindset, what David is saying is 100% true. If you have the mindset that you're just trying to cope with where you're at in life or to find an easy way to make it feel good, why, why I'm more godly because I'm poor, you're, you've missed the whole entire context. I think I have an example for this as we start to get a little more practical here in this idea. So it's it's rarely comfortable to develop new habits. And even in that video with the wolves being reintroduced, when you look at what they the wolves would do, we wouldn't call that a peaceful, comfortable thing that they did because they helped keep the deer population down for one, right? Do you guys know what that entails? It entails the wolves killing and eating some of the deer. And we wouldn't look at that as, oh, how that's wonderful. That That's part of managing the garden. There are things that will get overgrown or grown in the wrong way, and they need to be trimmed. And they need to, there has to be management of that. And practically one thing, I get, well, this is a more recent example. Um, but a while ago, and Brian and I have talked about this quite a bit, but a while ago, I decided that I was, I had become too accommodating in certain scheduling areas of life when it comes to things like a Wednesday night Bible study that I oversee. And there's a, there's a habit for some people to, you know, schedule events or schedule stuff in the room or can, so can we move the Bible study over here? Can we do it online? Can we do this? And I'd become so accommodating of it because I wanted to be a, a good accommodating person of other people's needs. 
And to most people, you would think that's a good thing. And as a principle, it is. You want to consider others and their needs above your own. However, the result of that, the unforeseen consequence of that, which shockingly that happens a lot in the world, is that the 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 primary teaching of the word itself, the word of God, was diminishing because of all those accommodations. And so there came a point where I I made this resolution in my mind and Brian kind of kicked me into it, which was good because I didn't see how bad it had become. Uh, there's I am not allowing any movement or any changes to this schedule unless it is it is a last resort. And because I understand sometimes there's just logistically things that you can't do about, you know, if we have to go online with the Bible study because we're in the middle of a blizzard, then we're going to do that. So are there, there are things like that, but only as a last resort will I allow any changes to it. And let me tell you how uncomfortable those conversations are to have with people. But because it's a habit, I decided to start developing. And you know, I'm a very nice guy, so I wasn't being ab- abrasive and mean about these conversations. But it's a habit that I that I needed to start developing, and it entailed difficult conversations and conversations I had to think through beforehand. Okay, how do I present this in the right way? Because this person's going to ask this, and it was a very exhausting exercise at times. But that habit has produced some strength, and it's such a godly thing to do because now my priorities are clear, and it helps align other people's perspective and priorities when it comes to this area too. So very practically, that's one habit that I've started developing and it's not going away. I was going to say, I think <laughs> it's funny that you you bring that up. It brought to my mind how even our uh, podcast, we got lazy in when we were going to record and it, it got to a point where I think it was you, Brian, who said, we're, we're just going to record on Monday, 8, 8.30 when we always do it, no matter what, because we had gotten so used to just getting changed around, flipped around, and it it, it wasn't a priority. But now that everyone's aligned on the same page that it's 8.30 on Monday, and now everybody knows 8.30 on Monday, we're, we're recording the podcast. Now it's a priority for everyone to take seriously and to prepare and to know I'm showing up Monday night, knowing that I'm going to record a podcast tonight through thick and thin, you know, there's, there's exceptions. There's always exceptions, but I'm coming prepared. I'm not coming to a Monday night thinking, Oh, maybe it'll move to Wednesday this week and I'll have more time or, or maybe it'll happen just next week and this week will get canceled. And so I think that kind of goes right to you with what you're saying, Jason, is just that priority and, not allowing outside influences to kind of determine that. I also want to jump back a little bit too about what you and uh, Brian and David, you guys were talking about wealth. I think overall in a general sense in the U.S., we take wealth as what are your finances and what can you do with your finances but as believers, we are wealthy beyond imagine. Like you, you don't even know how wealthy you are just with who's backing you. And I think that's something that everyone in this podcast needs to realize, whether you have a million dollars or whether you have one dollar, 
you do have something to give because there's someone behind you that's giving to you. And I think when you come from that perspective, you always have something to give, whether it's out of your material possession, whether it's out of your faith, whether it's out of your actions, you always have something to give. And if you're not giving that away, then you're just hoarding up stuff here on earth and it's just going to burn away anyways. So why does it matter? I think just to cap that off for that point there is just being rich doesn't mean what your bank account represents. There's a lot more to being rich in your life, like your health, your family, your identity, your source, your faith. All that stuff is way more important than what a bank account shows. And I think when you get those things aligned, your bank account could show great things. I have another really practical example here. This is the one I started years ago. I will not say amen in like a group prayer setting when people are praying from a perspective of, I'm just this lost, distant slave looking up to this distant deity and, oh God, may you maybe intervene. I will not say amen in a group prayer setting like that. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's whatever it is, group of people praying, popcorn prayer, people are doing different stuff, whatever it is, I will not say because most of us, if you grew up in the church, it's almost an involuntary response at the end of a group prayer. And they all said, amen. And I made a very intentional mental note. I won't say that if there's things like that going on in the prayer, I'm not going to stand up and be like, you guys are all wrong and you're praying wrong and you're stupid. I'm not going to do that, but I'm not going to give my seal of agreement to something when I know that that's not the identity that we should be praying from. Can I give a bad example of a habit that I've created? Because I'm trying to think of a positive one. But the, I think, well, just because I've been sitting here listening, so I think I'm just coming into the new year thinking about everything that I've done last year as far as habits and everything like that. And I know it's like, oh, goals for the new year, stuff like that. I think that's kind of a waste of time. Sometimes you just change it when you change it. It doesn't require a new year to start. But I think in some ways I've built like a habit of being comfortable, being just super busy all the time and different things like that. And I think so, like sometimes we can even view our habits that we create as positive when they're still negative. Because even thinking about the wolf example, like everybody thought getting rid of the wolves was a positive thing because it was like, oh, the wolves are eating our cattle and different stuff like that. And then you find out maybe it's not as positive a habit as you thought it was because it's actually being destructive because it's too much of it. And so I think like hearing you guys talk about everything, I think that's one thing I've realized over this past week, you know, everything is like, like the habits we create, we have to be careful that we don't make that part of our identity as well. Because I think I've done that in some ways of this is a really good thing to do, but if you do it so much and let it like take over you, then you'll start to lose other things. And so I think like, that's not like there's positive habits we need to create. And I think, you know, for anybody who's like trying to start a habit, don't take that as like, Oh, I'm not going to risk it and start some new habit and risk it taking over my life. No, I think you should go for it. But I think we can also look at other habits we create that we might think they're positive and they can actually be negative in some ways. Um, how they're affecting like other aspects of our life. With everything you start, there's a give and take to it. So it's going to take from something. So you're at you're at 100% capacity. Whatever you do is going to take from something. 
and you you have to m- manage that. How do I deal with something that's frustrating me in a manner that doesn't create more problems? We can just deal with that thing that we need to deal with. Those are habits. Those are things we can develop. We can become strong in those things. And then the more you do it, the more uh, you're influencing people around you because people are looking for or strength. People are looking for courageous things. And even if it they don't like it at the moment, in the long term, they create a value for it. And again, when you become valuable, remember the moment you do this, you're going to have one side not like you and another side like you. Just get used to life that you're going to split the Red Sea. You're going to have two sides. The moment you start solidifying this is what i am these are the habits you will you're you're not going to be well liked in all arenas in fact is it proverbs that says woe to you if all men like you it doesn't mean you're being deliberately offensive to try to tick off the other half of the people it just you're gonna this is gonna happen and this is where the afflictions come this is where it the righteous have afflictions it's and the afflictions isn't like pussing or boils, it's it's afflictions because you're now in an environment where you, you've created a, there's new hostilities, but it's like your garden. You need the wolves and that hostility to keep the deer who are passive, eating everything that they come in contact with, destroying the, the grasslands. You need that conflict to keep the deer in check. So if we can embrace this, it, it, we we can create habits around that, but just know this is good part of the process. And let me give another really practical example of that because that is to be comfortable and have the ability to be in a situation socially or professionally where you don't agree with everyone and you are okay with that is such a critical thing that many people do not develop. And so here's what I did years ago. I live in Minnesota. I've lived here since I was a little kid. So we are have to be Vikings fans. Not only do we have to be Vikings fans, we have to hate the Packers, like with a vengeance. And somewhere in my mid twenties, I think it was around maybe a little after college, I just realized like I don't really, I don't really hate the Packers. I just, I don't love them, but I really don't, I don't care. Like honestly, I if the Vikings aren't going to make the playoffs, I'd like someone from our division to make the playoffs. I think that'd be cool. So sure, I'll cheer for the Packers. And I just look, I realized this was like an actual emotion that I felt. And so I remember the next time it comes up in our friend group, I'm just going to be like, you know, I honestly don't really hate the Packers. They, I mean, one year they're better than us. One year we're better than them. Round and round it goes. It's usually more of them being better than us as a Vikings fan. I just remember, and th- there's backlash, but it was it was a non-serious situation. Uh, some fr- from friends of mine at the time were pretty serious about it, and you guys know some people get a little bit more into that than others, unhealthily so. But it wasn't like a big deal. It wasn't like I was saying, hey, I'm disowning my parents and I'm turning my back on God. It was just like this, a sports thing. It was, okay, this is still my team, but I don't hate that team as much as you hate that team. And I got to feel what it felt like to kind of get a little backlash, some sarcastic, some a little more serious, and to just sit there and deal with it. And that's such an easy way to start. So think of any social situation where you could do that with your group of friends where you're like, you know what? I really don't like coffee as much anymore. 
And I know for the last decade, we've all been coffee fanatics, but I just don't really like it anymore. And to learn to be okay with being outside of the bubble there. Another thing to add on to that too is for me, I've been working on being more decisive and making a decision. And like what you're talking about, when people are like, oh, what should we have for dinner? I'm like, oh, I don't know. You decide. Or what do you feel like? But it's like, you know, they were clearly asking you, what do you want for dinner? Why would you not tell them what you actually want? And I think that's part of growing up in communication is like actually being able to state what you feel, what you want, and deal with someone saying, oh, I don't want that. And then working something out. And then you're both happy at the end of the day. But I found like it, it really stemmed out of like me and my fiance. I'd be like, oh, what do you want for dinner? Well, what do you want? Well, I want whatever you want because I want you to be happy. Well, I'm really not not happy because I'm not stating what I want. And if I would just state what I want, you, you realize a lot of time that people are like, oh, yeah, let's let's do that. And sometimes they're going to be like, nope, I don't want that. I want this. And you have to be like, okay, let's do that. So that's something I'm working on. And I feel like it, it falls along that same line, Jason, of just like actually stating what you feel is right or actually communicating in a sense. You don't always have to go with what everyone does, with what everyone says. I think it's interesting because both the habits you guys talked about are like two different things. But when you're thinking about the end results of not building that habit, it's going to cost you a lot more than the initial like working to build that habit. Like even I feel like that's for all the habits we've been talking about. Like when you create that, like if you don't build it up in the long run, it's going to cost you more than the conflict or than like, you know, other people maybe not liking you because you're doing this habit and they're mad at you for doing it. Like what you were saying, Brian was splitting the Red Sea. And so I think like to help with motivation for habits, it's important to look at like in the end, what's going to cost me more. Like even with the analogy with the butterflies, like chasing butterflies instead of building a butterfly garden, you could spend the rest of your life chasing butterflies and not catch anything. But if you take a year or two to build this amazing butterfly garden, it's going to be a lot more like cost effective if you want to put it in like, um, like logical terms, but you're going to be offsetting so much more pain. Like you're going to eventually you're going to be too old and tired to like chase butterflies. So what are you going to do then? And so I think like with all these ha- habits that we're talking about, the like cost of not building them is going to be a lot worse. Like even with the wolves, it's like getting rid of the wolves ended up costing Yellowstone a lot more than if they had kept them and lose like some deer or cattle. So I think that's important for motivation is because it may be a little bit hard right now. Like even what we were talking about with like the people who are very successful and everything, they're more capable of handling the hard things because they've done it so much. They've built a habit out of handling hard things. They built a habit out of making habits of doing hard things. So then it becomes easier and it's a lot more worth it in the end just for the initial pain that it might be to, to start it. And to add to that, you, you need to focus because maybe 
another person who's chasing butterflies is catching more butterflies while you're while you're building your garden. And so it takes focus to actually look towards that long term. What are you doing versus focusing on what everyone else is doing? I, I, I feel that a lot with my job now. It's easy to focus on, okay, how is everyone else performing and not really focusing on what, what I'm doing? How am I performing? And I think it's it's important to keep that long-term focus and actually focus on what is that garden and not just chasing butterflies. It says meditate on the word day and night. You'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in season. Its leaf will not wither and whatever it does will prosper. The ungodly are not so. So in other words, allowing your roots to go deep, allowing yourself to grow the tree in time, you will have all the things that you were created for. And that's where I kind of am careful, even when we're talking about money, because I 100% believe, man, you just got to believe God. And, and you need to step beyond yourself and be courageous and step beyond yourself and know that you have the resources to do what you've been called to do. They're there. But you can't be chasing them because it will get you off not building your garden. On the other side, then some people say, well, so if you have a lot of money, you're doing something wrong. Absolutely not. Because honestly, if you walk in some of these principles, you may need multi, multi-millions of dollars to do the build, the thing that you're being called to do. But it's not about, I need those things for my identity, for peace. Because you have a whole new stress that comes. There, there's a whole new hard. You'll hit a new hard when you have all that. So once we establish, we can handle the weather, we can handle the hard, we can handle all those things. We can we want the wolves, the bears, the berries, the trees, the 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 river. We want all that operating in a, in a healthy manner, but it's going to be based on you have everything you need on the inside of you. Now it's just allowing yourself to activate them from the inside out and creating that garden and those habits around that. And so there does need to be a time where you're you're writing that clear the clarity down. Then we deal with habits around strength. What can I grow in today? What can I take what I have and put more resistance to it? Right? Because resistance is how something gets stronger. It's a positive thing. So how can I add more resistance? What can I do with that that I can start getting that out? How can I communicate and start in small little things? It's the little bricks. We're not, you don't take on the monument, right? You put in the bricks to build the monument. So, and not looking for easy. Just start learning to do hard better. The other uh, habit is around courage is consistently... Uh, little habits that allow, that develop that stepping out of comfort little habits that benefit other people and it doesn't always benefit you you talked about giving tomming a, a great example what can i give to someone today even if it's just a small thing that steps me out of myself and it, it starts developing something so your courage and courage is developed. Courage is trained. And the more you courageous you come, become, the more confidence you have. The more confidence you have, the more you're willing to step into arenas. And, and it just begins pushing that envelope. And then for the ultimate goal of how do we influence others? So that means your life matters and it influences other people. 
So how do I let that influence? How am I in, how can I create habits that are is adjusting the influence of the environments that I'm in? So when we're talking about this, this is the habit. And it's interesting in uh book High Performance Habits I picked up when we were traveling. It has six habits that highly productive people do, and it's all tied into those four things. Your identity, strength, courage, and influence. So uh, building that habit. So that's what we're talking about. So you're if you're trying to build more strength, some person might want to go for a walk for fitness, other person's weightlifting, another it, it's not the thing that you're doing, it's you're building that infrastructure of the habit. The biggest habit that you can do that will literally change every single thing in your life is reading your Bible. But I'm not saying like one, two chapters a day. I'm saying look towards look towards a character you've seen that's done like 12 hours a day or 10 hours a day and kind of just think that's the max I could do instead of five chapters is the max I could do. And maybe just like try and go for maybe like two hours a day, try and get something like that instead of setting your goal to be five chapters a day. We're in two hours. You can get through five chapters sometimes. It's all you get through. But setting your limit as five chapters in a day or your max that you'll do is five chapters a day is really hindering. And I think you should just be spending as much time as you can allot to it. And getting that habit going as best as you can is probably the most life-changing habit that you can do as it transforms yourself by the renewing of your mind. Literally all the blessings in the Bible will start to flourish. Everything, your life, your happiness, emotions are going to be in check, everything. And so you said something interesting. You didn't just read it for the chapter. So you're not trying to just get an accomplishment done. You did it for time. You're busy. You have things going on. You have your friends groups. What made you drive in and keep reading before? Because you didn't know that would be the benefit. You discovered the benefit. So when you started in, how did you discipline yourself to stay at the reading? This might change up the entire podcast, but I basically... I've seen the lives of certain characters, like real life people that like the explosion of what's happened in their lives after they've done, like they pursued God with like, you have to seek, seek after the God with all your heart and you'll find him. You can't do a half hearted 15 minutes, which sometimes the 15 minutes is good. I mean, sometimes you don't have any time in the day, but like, Send, setting 15 minutes to the Bible and then just moving on is not seeking God with all your heart. And I've seen lives of people that have sought after God there with all their heart. And I'm not saying that you have to be spending two hours a day. There's like people that have changed the world biblically, forgot his name, but all he did was like 45 minutes a day. He set a timer and just that was his time with God. And then he kept doing what God had him do. But his entire life was stayed on God because he only had 45 minutes a day. But like uh, if you seek after God with all your heart, I've seen certain lives of people like Robert Letourneau, John G. Lake, Andrew Womack, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, um, Andrew Murray, Andrew Murray, Brother Andrew, 
and just a bunch of other characters and seeing what it ends it the end goal is and even characters in the bible and i came to the conclusion that every single character in the bible spent like for example paul in galatians it talks about he went into the wilderness for two years just studying the bible and that's after all of his pharisee training where he literally had the entire law memorized for that so watching david since i kind of get a firsthand glimpse into this uh he was not compelled by his parents or cajoled or bribed um it was on his own and to note the distinctive life change from the time he started to where he is now and the things that he accomplishes now is really remarkable and it is it is a true testament and i think it really goes to the psalms 1 1 of meditating day and night and i think to stay in it is there's a hunger to know him so when you get a window rather than watching a movie read your bible but you're gonna say i know but that's not really enjoyable i want to go relax but I think we're missing something that it is, it, it is. So somewhere we've made it a religious exercise and that has become a bad habit. That's in a way we've removed the wolves. You kind of have to reintroduce the wolves and just have a fresh look at this. I think ever, everything, all the good habits you could ever get kind of stems from that. Unless you guys say there's wrong because it says you'll be perfected as jesus oh i forgot the verse but it's like you'll be like jesus and your mind will be transformed which is kind of your end goal and i think to add to that i just want to say this uh a mentor said this to me that your life doesn't belong to you it belongs to your purpose and that purpose comes from god and I think when you realize that, that's when you can be in the word and be lost in what he's speaking to you versus choosing to go watch a movie. And sometimes watching a movie isn't bad, right? There's there's stuff you can get from that. But when you realize that your life isn't yours, it's your purposes. I mean, man, what are you going to do with it? And I think to what David is saying, I, from what I heard from you, is that you're meditating on the word. And you can do that all day long. You really can. When you think about it, like, even in my job, like, I'm talking to people, emailing, all this kind of stuff. I can still meditate. Like, I can be there and not be there in my mind. I can be with God in my mind and I can still do my job really, really well. And so I think I would just challenge people to meditate and not be your habit of meditating on God, on his word throughout your day. All right, we're going to wrap it up with that, everybody. As a reminder, if you've gotten all the way through this episode and you haven't listened to the um, the episodes we've done on identity, please go back and listen to those because there's a lot of foundation laid there 
that you need to understand in order to start building these habits and these systems in the right way, because we all know what it's like to build a house on a crappy foundation. It's not a good idea. Well, maybe we don't, but you should. So we appreciate you guys tuning in until next time. Keep the faith, stay in the fight.